0: Above the barracks. I chose it because it was near one of the biggest windows on the ship, and I liked to stargaze. The window usually had the best view of planets and systems we were passing, and it was hard to keep your breath looking out at worlds we'd only ever glimpsed through telescopes before. It made me feel like a kid again. My dad used to tell me about the space race back in the 1950s and 60s. Space exploration began in earnest when we started to worry about the Russians dropping nuclear weapons on us from space, back when us meant Americans. Eventually, everybody lost interest because space turned out to be an expensive hobby for countries with no concept of return on investment. The occasional discussion of monetizing the cosmos cropped up, mostly revolving around mining and maybe eventually trade, but it was all academic because it was too expensive. Then we hit peak oil and that was followed by all kinds of other peaking minerals. So we either had to start mining off-world or accept a different standard of living. What had once been the United Nations was now the United Government, mostly a coat of paint, really, but it pushed the ICC and other disparate sections of international law and government under the same tent. At the same time, the power of national governments had been shrinking as the world became smaller, so the U.G. became roughly equivalent to the old U.S. in terms of real-world influence. A lot of that disseminated power went to multinational companies, many of which had larger populations and economies than some of the smaller countries, and those companies were the only ones with enough cash on hand to explore space once it was deemed a necessity. Santem, the company I worked for, was one of the largest of the interstellar corporations. Their first ship was called the Argus, after somebody got their Greek mythology slightly wrong. On the tenth year of its tour, it opened up a worm gate at its location, about five light years out. Our ship was the second in what the board hoped would grow into a fleet of deep space exploration vehicles. Santam wanted to call the ship the Enterprise, but the company who owned the rights to the old Star Trek shows sued. Several related names were floated, including Commerce and even Intercourse, which had my vote, before they settled on Nexus. It was ostensibly a five-year mission, just like the Argus, but it was written into our service contracts that they could be unilaterally extended indefinitely by the company. We all knew when we signed up that the ship was designed so generations could live and die on board. There was no expectation of going back home. We left the Wormgate a few weeks ago. Only the crew of the Argus had ever been farther from Earth. The corridors of the Nexus still had that plasticky new ship smell. I killed lots of time walking the halls because we were weeks away from having anything to do. I got an incoming message on my HUD from Sective. Her image, name, and rank popped up on my eye screen, Lieutenant Louise Templeton. It was strange seeing her at that rank. She'd been a sergeant when I worked with her in Sective, what felt like several lifetimes ago. We'd been in love, as madly as two people ever were. It ended, incompletely. I hadn't seen her in years before the voyage. She didn't know I was up for a spot on the Nexus, and I hadn't known about her until we saw each other at the selection committee. It was a coincidence she ended up my head of sective, unless it was somebody in the company's idea of a sick joke. I pulled her into the corner of my ice cream. Her dark hair was pulled back in a bun in a way that made her look more severe than she was, though she could be severe. She was first on my personality compatibility matrix and seventh for genetic compatibility. Because it was a generational ship, they built the matrices during crew selection to make sure we didn't get out past Jupiter before everybody realized they had no intention of boning anybody else, like an interstellar panda exhibit. I hadn't had the computer built a composite, but Sektiv suspected we would have beautiful, disturbingly brilliant children. Though I wasn't sure if either of us wanted that. LT, what's happening? I realized only after answering that I'd called her by her initials, Lt. sounding like Melty, like I used to. I hoped she could confuse it with a recitation of her rank. We were still a ways away from being back to friendly. I've got a situation developing, she started. An ensign setting off the decibel sensors in the corridor, trying to blow the drums out of one of my sec ears. I'm on the bridge or I'd handle it myself. And sective has gone a whole week without bloodying a crew member. Well, that too, she said with a smile. Just down the hall from your twenty. Location. I wasn't far enough out of the security services I'd forgotten my ten codes, but it had probably been a while since she'd worked security for someone with my background. I adjusted my cochlear implant, just enough to eavesdrop. Yeah, I hear him now. Jesus, that's some paleolithic caveman shit he's flinging. Are we sure it isn't a particularly nasty chimpanzee someone released out of PsyDiv?